0: Fisher built his wall in South Texas because there is almost no federal wall that exists in South Texas at all. Almost all the federal wall that was built during the George W. Bush administration, the Obama administration, and the Trump administration is in California, New Mexico, and Arizona. Us coming from America, we're a country
1: of laws. I was always for that if we could help um, assist that and help our government and help every single American, you know, we wanted to be on the leading edge.
0: He successfully created a proof of concept, and he's trying to get Texas maybe to buy it, but at $20 million a mile, that's a tough ask.
1: My hope (laughs) is, is that the new administration would come down and talk to the boots on the ground that could see something that was built on the Rio Grande that could have so many multiple purposes. Not only could it be for border protection, but it could also be for a public use, bike path, different things,
0: but some- Okay, now just keep this question in mind as we get into the last uh, 45 seconds of this. It says that we build the wall, basically uh, goes bankrupt, goes belly up. They have all these lawsuits against them. So Fisher just decides to continue to build the three-mile wall on the Rio Grande with his own money. Well, how was that land donated, the wall that he already built with their money? How was that transferred over to him, a private company, folks? And this is... The point I think we're going to get to, it ties into the same investigations we keep doing on the Dust and Gold Standard with the technocracy and all of the players behind it, is is your, there's always these government contracts. The government is always behind everything. So the question you have to ask is, how was it legally, and why did the press not cover this? How did a nonprofit that was then accused of fraud transfer off the books because you know if the doj come came after them for fraud and started filing indictments against the key players including bannon and Colfodge that somehow the accounts would have been frozen by the government oh i mean we covered that in the interview with Halsey english they can go in and they can seize everything from these little groups if they want to so if they're really going after them for fraud wire fraud Uh, conspiracy to commit fraud and everything else. How did they just transfer off the books, this piece of land, to this supposed government contractor, Tommy Fisher, who can then just finish the wall with his own money, and somehow it's his and he's going to try to lease it to the government now?
1: And when you're looking at the amount of money uh, that they're talking about, we also know, and I don't know, you know, what part you're going to fit this in. That, that we also know that they had access to a prototype that they could have done for was it a million dollars?
0: Oh yeah, I'll get into that in a uh, in a second. Let, let, let me do, let me just finish up this last right. forty five so seconds. Keep that in mind, and then we'll get back we'll get back to that stuff. Yeah, I would argue that Tommy Fisher's three mile wall does not, in fact, address the issue the Government Accountability Office testified that it had not developed any way of measuring whether border fencing had any effect. There is this question, do border walls work? It's It's hard to say. If you're an immigrant seeking asylum, they're not trying to evade law enforcement at all. They're often walking right up to wherever the border fence is. And so in that sense, no wall in Texas is gonna address that issue. It says here, Tommy Fisher has contested the lawsuits against him. This is back in uh, uh, 2021. Steve Bannon has offered a preemptive pardon from Trump before he left office. Cole Fodge and We Build the Wall's other co-defendants pleaded not guilty to defrauding investors. A trial is set for November. So that brings us up to uh, the current date. But see, uh, you know that right. came from Bloomberg, and I think, in, in I mean, in my opinion, that was actually a pretty fair uh, piece. I mean, I think that documented the story up to that point.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it was very good. But but there's a lot. Of, if anyone is interested, there's there's so many interviews out there. There's a lot of articles out there about the lobbying and. The poor reputation of it. I mean, if you're going to lobby for something like this, I mean, the, the company does have a, a sketchy reputation. Um, but let's all, let's also talk that they were looking, on one hand, you're talking about building a border border wall for security. But we also know that they were trying to do things more high tech with drones and cameras. And I believe... Pal- Palantir Technology.
0: Well, I was going to say there's a gentleman no. that I talk about on the Dust and Gold Standard who I won't talk about here on the Thomas Fain podcast. Yeah. No, um, uh, but, no, the, but uh, uh, a, little, a little gentleman war. named Peter that my audience is very familiar with, with Palantir, yeah. a CIA backed, CIA founded technology, as we've covered on the show. Um, Palantir was funded with InQtel Money, which is the CIA's um, venture capital firm. And then Palantir. Here was uh as i've shown they're intertwined with the irs cdc health and human services fbi uh another, another local state federal contracts as well as international contracts and so part of what was starting to be pushed by president trump as he was backing away from the physical wall which was short very short time into his right. presidency he literally started with the idea of this technological wall which was not a new idea people like right. john mccain and others had pushed that for 10 years prior to trump and so there were a lot of contracts given out for this technological wall at the end of the day and i can do shows on this because it fits into my um, into the dust and gold standard because it's technology those things didn't do anything okay they're test projects for the prison planet surveillance technology that's what the those things actually are
1: well it was also the tug of war where where you could still present to the people that we want to build a wall knowing that it's not really you know it's just shuffling the, the billions of dollars around but on the other hand we're working on the technology aspect of monitoring the border um so yeah, that's what I—that's the point I want to try to make. It, it's an easy grift for the people. Like when when you're saying, it's another way of selling opium. You know, we're we're going to take this into our own hands, and we're going to get this done. So, and here we are. We're we're here with lawsuits, fraud, environmental issues, to where it's not even stable.
0: Oh, definitely. And now, look, I can talk. Um, you know, about the series that, uh, I produced as well as some of the work, um, uh, I've done over the years and then some, uh, palace intrigue on the, uh, on um, the inner workings of the trump administration and the angel families which were the family members of people that were murdered or killed by illegal aliens oh. uh or do you want to jump do you want to look at the uh this new ban piece peace that, that fits into this right now with him talking no. about the 35 no, raids no, not-
1: no, not now. We could throw that on, on the back end. I think it's really important right now that we get back into the reason why when you were producing the other show and We Build the Wall did come up, and it started to become a battle within um, you know the ranks of of, of MAGA alt media people arguing over you know whether it was a grift or not. So many people were losing their audience, if you remember, and when you were producing the show. You said to the people that were, you know, fans of the show, listen, if you want to fund us to go down there to the border and interview people and investigate things, because when you were down there, um, I remember we were researching the the, the private landowners because you you were doing a twofold thing. You were interviewing the folks that Dan Goldbush, um, Angel Dead, Dan that we have a wonderful relationship with and sadly the tragedy of his son Spencer that was murdered by an illegal. Um, So he was uh, gracious enough to provide some contacts that you could go down and hook up with down at the border. And and the fans did come through. You did a 24-hour marathon interviewing a lot of people. You put it together in three weeks, learned the technology, booked the shows, produced the show. Raise the money needed. Now, now the difference between a we, we Build the Wall fundraising, and this was not GoFundMe, this was directly through the show, and the money that, that you all raised went to the tour for you all to go down there and research and, and interview, and the equipment that was needed, and, and you accounted for it, which was fantastic. You gave the people what they funded. And, and I bitch about this on my show all the time, it's the people now that have to fund things if they want it. Where's the trap? What's real? What's organic? What's a scam? These are landmines you're, you're navigating all over the place. So you go down there. You conduct all these fantastic interviews. You start to see all of the stuff that's not being reported on the mainstream media. And we're going to get to, well, let's go into it now. What would you say were the top few items that were really hard-hitting uh, when you conducted these interviews? Because I know there was quite a few that really weighed on you.
0: Yeah, well, well, here's the thing, too. I'll say uh, just uh, on what you just brought up. We were going to – our plan, we really wanted to do – Uh, tour along the entire southern border with like an rv equipped with streaming Mm -hmm. technology and literally drive the whole border and live stream where there was and wasn't wall because part of what was happening was we were becoming a little bit pissed off with President Trump running his mouth that the wall was being built everywhere because we had so many contacts right. down on the border that told us that was a lie, and so we would and start why didn't to see that
1: v- project take place.
0: Well, I was going to say, uh, well, Schemed- what happened? Scheme <laughs> Well, scheme, well, scheme and a couple other things. So, what would happen was we started seeing videos that would surface on Twitter and YouTube and everything else from these people that were. We we believe to be allies, but what we were finding out was they were taking drone footage or old drone footage or going and shooting drone footage of a piece of wall that was built under the Bush administration or the Obama administration and then saying to people right. on Twitter and Facebook through these giant accounts, look, Donald Trump just did two more miles of wall. And it wasn't like you could literally pull up the maps and see what was uh, being built under Trump and what exactly. was old wall and so we wanted to do this entire uh, tour to show it because we wanted to show the folks out there that Trump was not not to it wasn't about Trump it was to show the folks that Trump either didn't know what he was talking about it was just talking out of his rear or He was lying to us. And so the purpose was because our wall wasn't being built. And if you wanted border security, then you should at least know the truth and not cheer on a cue like, trust the plan. And so we wanted to do that. And again, like you said, we put this, uh, it was like a 24 to 48 hour marathon with 48 guests. I stayed up like for an entire day producing it live, anchoring (laughs) the show. And we did have a lot of people that uh, pitched in and came on as guests. Yeah, and you know, and we raised some money, and our plan was always whatever we raise will end up doing uh, whatever we can do within that budget, and so obviously we did not raise enough to rent an RV and equip it with three D scanning live streaming technology. So we went down there. Was
1: on future agendas, right?
0: Yeah, well, we yeah we went down there and did the first part. We, we came, uh, went down there for a week, we came back, we were focused on the uh, Rio Grande area down in McAllen, Texas, in Br- uh, Brownsville, Texas, uh, as I've talked about before, Boca Chica, Texas, and we met with the uh, head of the Border Patrol Union, and so... We uh, got a lot of stuff. We came back. It took me, like, say, a month or two to edit all the pieces. And as we did it, we would play interviews and some of the edited mini documentaries on this show. And then in between, we were doing, I think, two or three live stream shows a week. So we started bringing on guests related to illegal immigration, border issues, uh, government contracting, and covering the story over a few months. And then we were about to start trying to raise more money to get back down to the next area. And, yeah, that's when COVID kicked off off and the border issue was now gone and out of the news forever but you asked me some of the revelations that we had and as someone who was following border and immigration issues since 2007 it was amazing so one of the guys that Dan Golvach uh, hooked us up with and as Maria mentioned he was uh, what's considered an angel parent if you guys remember Donald Trump brought around these uh, parents and family members of people who were either murdered or killed by an illegal alien all through the 2015-16 race, and they would get up on stage, and they would cry, and Donald Trump would hold them. It was very well orchestrated, and to be honest, that was one of the things that made me uh, personally get on board with him. Not that I was going to get on board with anyone else, but that made me actually become active, because I said, okay, you would have to be a total psychopath, to bring these parents up there, get them to tell their personal stories about their dead child, get them crying on stage like a Joel Osteen concert or something, and then hug them and tell them you were going to protect every last child on the planet. You know, it was just, that's what got me on board. So when we went down there, uh, Dan had connected us with um, a sheriff who was about 30 miles inland from the Rio Grande a portion of the southern border. And his name was uh, Sheriff Benny Martinez. And we hung out with Benny Martinez for a couple of hours, interviewed him extensively. And one of the big, big revelations we got out of him was that this concept that there may be a mother who shows up at the border uh, with you know, five kids with her and she sneaks over the border and the next day she becomes a cleaning lady or something. He said all that is just complete and total fiction that everyone who comes across the border illegally made a deal with the cartel in one way or another, and they are indebted to the cartel until they pay off whatever the agreement was. So if you said, I want to cross with my five children, they would say it's 10000 for you and whatever, 7500 a kid, and then you would owe them $40,000 or $47,500, and you would work that off, whether you were going to be a prostitute for them, a pimp, a drug dealer, a drug runner, uh, a hitman killer, an enforcer, a rat. You were going to have to serve jail time for them, whatever it may be. Every single person he told us uh, ends up indebted to and working for the cartel. And when they're snuck into the country, they showed us all of the trade routes sort of they go through to be snuck in and funneled into the country and then pushed up into Houston and then branched out all over the, the country. It's a big network. And so as uh, the next few months unfolded and we kept doing stories... We interviewed many more sheriffs who were these sort of. This guy wasn't even like a like a Joe Arpaio uh, conservative firebrand. He was really not even known. So we talked to a lot of these guys who, over the next five weeks, uh, all went on the record and told us, "No, that is true. We know that for a fact." Everyone who crosses is indebted to the cartel. Therefore, whether there's 11 million illegal aliens here, which was the number back in basically the 80s, or 30 million illegal aliens here, every single one of them is indebted to and works for the cartel. And then there's a lot of reason to believe in evidence, not for this show, that the cartel is basically run by and a cahoots with the CIA. So again, the government is behind all of the curtains that uh, these people are indebted you know, to the cartel. The other big one was we met with a guy named Doc Vickers, who, uh, again, is in, he's actually in the county that this uh, Sheriff Benny Martinez is in. And Doc Vickers runs sort of a Minuteman organization. They call it a militia. It's not really. And basically, he owns a couple hundred acres, and other farmers own a few hundred acres, and they do these runs every few months uh, unannounced where they patrol their land and it's to end up scaring the coyotes, which are the traffickers, so that maybe they don't come through their land for a couple of months because they come through and they destroy uh, crops, they kill the cattle and things like that. Now, Doc Vickers and the farmland owners around him, these big cattle ranches, they find dead human bodies half eaten by coyotes, On a regular basis. And this guy has giant blown up posters mounted to boards uh, that are laminated because he goes around the country and does presentations on what he finds on his land. And just from a humanitarian aspect. Literally like women that the cartel will now they've captured guys and they hold them until the uh, until Border Patrol shows up. So they interview a lot of these guys and the coyotes. If there's a woman, let's say she's pregnant and she's falling behind with the group that they're trafficking in. Sometimes they will literally just kill her on the spot so that she's not whimpering and whining and calling attention. And then a coyote will come and, like, eat the body. And they have pictures of, like, it was disgusting. And it was crazy because I had never actually heard uh, those kind of stories firsthand from people that experience it. And on one show I did talking about this Uh, I literally had tears in my eyes because I was screaming at President Trump to say, how is this going on in America where this guy's grandkids can walk out in the front yard or backyard to go play and find dead bodies laying on the ground? And if this is true, which it is true, why the president, when he was making the case to get the money to build a wall and secure the border, was he not using these stories Uh, politically to tug at the heartstrings of the left who was always traditionally against the idea of the wall because you could utilize these real stories, bring this guy Doc Vickers up there to show these pictures. He should have done his hour presentation live on TV with the president to make the case to the left that the last thing you want is open borders because it encourages these people to make these hundred mile treks through the desert uh, at the hands of these vicious psychopathic coyotes that rape and kill them. And we've heard little stories about it, but you've never seen it come from these people through the president. Uh the other thing was that we found when we went down to Boca Chica which is, uh, I told people, the beach where Elon Musk's SpaceX is, but when you go down to Boca Chica through Boca Chica Boulevard, it goes down through the marsh and then eventually to the beach. If you turn right and you walk up the beach about a half a mile, that's where the Rio Grande River dumps into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, the president, not just Trump, but others over the years have said, the Rio Grande is this natural barrier. We don't need a wall there. It's a natural barrier. Nobody will cross it. Well, we trekked up the Rio Grande with the Border Patrol and the Border Patrol Union chief and literally... There are parts that are like a puddle, Maria. Like, you probably have bigger puddles in your backyard with the storm right now than what the Rio Grande is. And so you can literally just walk across in your sandals. And we found all types of clothing, Muslim garb. You know, we're supposed to be afraid of terrorists. There was Muslim head wraps and everything hanging in the trees. And so I just went down there again, not related to the border. I went for Christmas and I went up there with uh, my mother, stepfather, and my wife and I was showing them. And literally on the other side of where the Rio Grande dumps in there was all these Mexicans out there fishing on the Mexican side and I said they said wait a second what are those people crossing the border I said no they're just fishing but you can see there's no border patrol trucks there and there was no border patrol trucks when we went there so this whole idea that the Rio Grande was a natural barrier was a complete and total lie so my eyes were open to a lot of things down there. Uh, One of the guys I know you wanted to talk about, Rusty, he was an old gentleman that we befriended Doug, uh, the host I was working with, had met him a couple of times uh, prior. And so he gave us access to his land, which was right on the border to set up and use night vision at, at night. This gentleman had lived on this uh, border property for decades. And a lot of people down there have dogs, you know, they roam their yards like junkyard dogs to protect their land. And uh, the coyotes literally multiple times had skinned. This guy Rusty's dogs alive and they hang them off of your porch as a warning for you to shut your mouth or they're going to come back and skin you alive. This, this is like a way of life, folks. Anyone who hasn't right. been Russell, there or heard Rusty this? Had to
1: deal with it.
0: Yeah. Right. I mean Ru- these Ru- Ru- are real was people. Elderly.
1: he was in poor health. Right? He he was in very poor health. Oh yeah, at the battle, time that we at the time we know, met him he was by in, himself.
0: Yeah, at the time we met him he was in and out of a uh, kind of like a senior recovery center. Um, I would get I forgot what right. he was. He might have been in his eighties. But um yeah, in the end and, and after he did a great the,
1: interview.
0: Oh yeah, he's great because he also knows the whole history of the politics that went down on there because he was very familiar with um it was University of Um Texas, Brownsville. And so on that territory. That's right. That school blocked the wall from being built under the uh, Trump administration and literally across the Rio Grande is a town called Matamoros, very dangerous in Mexico. And there's been gun battles that go on where bullets went flying into the University of Texas Brownsville campus, which was confirmed by the Border Patrol chief, um, Chris Cabrera, that people have probably seen over the years on Fox News. And so rusty knew all about the history of the president of that school and how she was blocking the wall from being built and uh i mean it's it's crazy like you don't you know if you live anywhere else in america you don't hear these kind of stories and these people are literally dealing with that you know every day of their lives um down there but i i will say in in, in all transparency even like Doc Vickers, who I mentioned, who finds the dead bodies. A lot of the water they pump up from the Rio Grande into these cattle ranches in the areas that go 10, 20 miles up uh, away from the border. So a lot of them are concerned mm-hmm. about a physical border wall that ends up blocking, um, you know, that ends up disrupting the flow of the irrigation that they need for the farming. But a lot of them for decades have been lobbying to they want to just up the manpower. Their question is why Border Patrol weren't positioned every, you know, 50 feet. Like they said, we have all these government employees and stuff. Why don't we have the National Guard down there? Why don't we patrol this with manpower? Like right. they, were, they had alternatives uh, um, to this.
1: Right. And the people down there suffering and, and the good human interest story that I did want to mention was, you know, an investigation like this, and the interviews that you got, and hopefully, maybe if you could dig dig them up, maybe you can play them on your show because they're they're very good interviews, uh, a lot of great insight. But when you have someone like Doug, this this organic veteran, um, his heart was broken many times, as yours was, listening to many of these interviews. You know, Rusty, he he really took Rusty under his wing. And, you know, elderly, sickly, suffering, fighting this battle all on his own. And Rusty was in need of a vehicle, remember?
0: Oh, so yeah. Oh, the, oh, Maria, this this started when we were down there actually filming. And we went to visit Rusty at mm-hmm. the senior center. And I got to see Doug with him, who had actually met him in uh, before I worked with him. Uh, so i got to see doug with him it was like he was meeting with his father you know or his grandfather and the relationship they have was amazing and then when we got to the uh rusty said oh my god can you check on my couple of dogs that are there because he had just been put into the senior center i don't know if he had diabetes or something but so we get that we get over there and uh uh dog and we were with a friend of his who was providing security for us because you know if you're filming uh in the dark of the night near some bushes you never know who's going to jump out so a former uh a military mm-hmm. veteran friend of his was down there with us i mean because it, it is really dangerous so anyway we go back and uh his dog is there and doug's like all right we got to stop filming for a little bit I'm like why he goes we got to go to the store I couldn't believe it. I mean, this is out of his pocket, not out of the budget that we had to film. We go to the store. He drops, I think, $250 out of his pocket. And he buys, you know, bags of the highest-end dog food, bones, cookies, you know, uh, toys, a new, like, feeding bowl, like this doghouse kind of canopy. We go back there, and he... Sets everything up, you know, for the dog, and make sure it's eating, and and then after we were gone, uh, Doug would keep the audience informed of how Rusty was doing, and then he would tell me some of the things he wasn't going to share on the show, and so there was a point in which Rusty had lost his, his truck was stolen, so Doug had this older pickup truck, he got it tuned up, uh, re registered under his name, paid for the insurance. Brings it down to Rusty himself with his buddy that went with us and provided security. They go down there, and uh, on a three-day trip, and they bring him a pickup truck and gave him a pickup truck. And the guy didn't have a lot of money. He was he was making some money off of uh, some passive income off leasing his land um, to some kind of a rancher. And Doug said, listen, it's insured, it's registered under me. Try not to go drink and drive with this thing. <laughs> but uh, gives him, uh, you know, gave him, gave him a pickup truck. Gave, so. him, gave him
1: a truck. He, yeah, I, I mean, just, just good hearted gesture. And it, it, it just warms my heart when, when you're doing these organic investigative reports and, and all of the, the knowledge that was gained. And to see Doug do that, it, it was just a great story. And I know, I know you were overwhelmed by it, but also the sad thing about scheme Schemedemic coming along because you guys were gaining speed on raising more funds and you were, get, you were planning on doing another trip down there where you were going to bravely go up into the mountains.